a fairly popular Netflix post the other day. It says that uh, I feel sorry for Netflix era kids because they will never know the high stakes adrenaline of running to the bathroom or the fridge in a single ad break with the beckoning call of a sibling screaming, it's on to send you hurtling over furniture back in time. I think that is 100% accurate, except that they also will never know that frustration of the brother that yells that when it's not actually back on. I think that's just your own demented family that does things like that. Oh, oh no way. You're telling me your brother never did anything like that with you? <laughs> no, normally he preferred to wait till it was on for a few seconds so he could spoil things for me. Okay, see, that's that was, the same basic thing. Like, it was I, my brother's play. Siblings aren't always looking out for each other. It's just like they missed out on that opportunity. The other thing that I think you had mentioned is the, uh, the scrolling TV guide before TV guides were a thing. <laughs> Trying to oh, figure yeah. out... Like, what's going to be on, like... Um, so, for me, it was always trying to figure out what football game was going to be on that Sunday. And so, you'd have to wait. They would only went forward, like, every, like, fifth time through. Would it show, like, the next four hours? Like, not what was re- what was on right now. And I'd be sitting there going, okay, what game is we getting? What game are we getting? Because it was pre-NFL Sunday ticket. It was just, you got whatever game you got. Right. Well, you know, and there was changing over to that TV Guide channel. Of course, there's people older than us that remember when the TV Guide was just a magazine that was delivered to your house weekly. But you would change to that channel trying to figure out what was on, and you'd be at like 67, and you'd just have to wait for it to go around before you could finally figure out what was on the channel in the 30s that you actually wanted to watch. Yeah. And that was just murder. Soccer chat. With two T's, because we're going to chat about soccer, but we're also in Chattanooga, so it's like a play on words, and you know, Chattanooga is a soccer city. Welcome to episode 35 of Soccer Chat. I am Alex Fordney, here with Adam Bruce. We are brought to you by the beautiful Game Network and Roughneck Scarves. This is uh, our first broadcast of the off-season. Uh, had to take a couple of weeks off, crazy schedule. Uh, pretty glad that basically nothing happened, so we don't really have anything to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's you know, lower division soccer is kind of known for being stable and there not being a lot of changes, especially brand new leagues with brand new teams. Those last for at least three years minimum. There's never any real major issues or changes. Wait, that's not what happened, is it? Yeah, well, let's start at home, first of all. So let's check in with the uh, the official spokesperson of the Chattanooga Red Wolves. Right, so, so far, there has not really been a lot of news, and the speculation is going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, so... We kind of talked about this before the offseason. We, we, we fully expected them to expand upon their massive abilities when it comes to social media and engagement with the fans by doing even less in the offseason when it's not even thought of as required. And they followed through thoroughly with that. The only thing they really ever put out is the occasional um, Rusty the Red Wolf post like in some random spot with a couple of players that everyone kind of knows are coming back already. And that's about it. Yeah. And that's what we've had. And so here again, with, 
my incredibly friendly wife who through the season had a chance to talk with all of the players, uh, following them on social media, seeing all sorts of cryptic posts. So you just, you know, you see, thank you, Chattanooga. It was, you know, didn't end the way we wanted, but we, we really appreciate all your support and all those kind of things. Uh, highlight films being released and you're just, you know, my wife is just wondering is it, are, do you think they're coming back? Or does this mean that they're not coming back? And I have nothing to tell her because I don't know. Um, I know through back channels, we've confirmed a player that is not going to be returning. Uh, it's not been announced, so I'm not going to share the name or anything. Um, we, Like you said, we know some of the players that are coming back. We know for a fact that Steven was brought in on a two-year. Uh, we've been able to confirm that Cito Sayon. Uh, has a second-year guarantee because of the number of appearances he made. A lot of the rest of it, I think, is just kind of up in the air, and we don't know, and nothing's been announced yet. So we're really hoping to see them coming through. Yeah, and I would like to see more than just announcing who's coming back. I'd like to see them do a thank you or a highlight reel for those that are moving on. Like Just because we're not keeping them doesn't mean that we shouldn't respect what they've done, right? Like There's right. going to be players that either don't fit what we're wanting going forward, weren't really the fit they were expecting them to be this last year, um, and they're hoping to get a different position. There's a whole team worth of players we'll talk about shortly available, so there's going to be more players available that they already know a little bit about. Um, so that we're going to have players that you and I may think to ourselves, why are we letting this guy go? And I would like, to, I would hope that the team has the respect for those players to say, Hey, here's a highlight video of XYZ player. Um, they may struggle to make one for Juan Mari. I get it. But you have to have something. <laughs> right? Uh, so, like, hopefully they create something for these players to show the respect that we as fans have for them and them as an organization have. Because the fact is, some of these players may be young players that we might want back in two years. And how you treat them on their way out says something about how you'll be viewed by them but also by players you're recruiting. And I think it's really important that they take the time to do that. I'm very doubtful they will. Uh, for, for recruitment is spot on. I think that's really important uh, to let, let these guys know what's going on uh, for themselves um, just as they're going out and sharing with people the experiences that they've had. Uh, you you want to make sure that this is handled correctly. You know, I'm – even the logical part of me that knew in lower division soccer, this is what's going to happen. It's still still hard wrapping my mind around some of these guys that I really got to enjoy watching over 30 games this season. Uh, got to talk to as I watch them interact with my family, who are really good, really good men. They're you know good people in the community and um, you know nice guys. So it's still kind of wrapping my mind around. Oh, they're not going to be here next year, and and that kind of sucks. Um, you know, as much as I like to pretend to be a curmudgeon, they're, they're nice guys and it's been fun to get to know them and to know that they're going to not be in town. Um, that's, that's going to suck. Well, so and one of the things I want to mention on that, that I think is important is, um, how do I word this? But some of these players that are not going to be with us have stayed in town and there's been, yeah. There's been some of this, like, I can't believe that they forced them to stay in town. Their contracts ran through the end of October. Right. And there was commitments that they had made to various organizations to be part and be there for. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with them expecting them to play out their contract. So that whole spin that you're seeing in various areas through various channels, kind of ripping on them for forcing, and I put that in quotes, the players to fulfill their contract through the end of the end of their contract at the end of this month. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's their contract. And there's nowhere that they're going to suddenly join on to, right? USL Championship is still in the middle of their playoffs. League One just ended. Nisa's ending. Uh, these are not players that are going to more than likely, that are going to catch on anywhere in Europe um, unless it's the January window. So there's nothing for them to be going to. So uh, maybe back up a little bit on giving the Red Bulls a hard time for them, expecting them to work through their contract. Well, and it's not as if most of these guys have an agent and that agent is in contact with people that, you know, everyone has phones. So it's not as if they're not able to be hammering out deals that as soon as the league year ends at the end of October and things are announced that they're going to know what, what's going to happen here or there, you know, that's, they're, they're, they're working on stuff. None of it's out in the open public knowledge necessarily, but they're working on stuff. Exactly. Yeah, fully agree. <laughs> One thing that I, I really am intrigued by, and I've listened to some other podcasts as well, is will any of these players be players that we would re-up and then turn around and sell? Like, is that a, is that a thing? Can that be done? And there was a specific podcast done by League One Fun where they asked that question and of a executive with League One, he didn't directly come out and say, yes, it can be done. But he basically said, I would love to see League One become a selling league, which implies to me these contracts are built in a manner to give them the ability to do that. So I, I, I would be intrigued to see if there's any players that we sign that actually don't play for us next year, which would be right. really interesting. Um, so so let's, let's talk a little bit about some League One news. Uh, anything that that you think people may already be aware of that we want to touch on? So there is the announcement of Lansing folding that was released. Was it on Monday of this week? Yeah, it was this previous Monday. I think it was retroactive to October 4th. <laughs> because that seems to have been when they pretty much stopped playing. But right. that's, all I, that's, the, well that's all the spiciness that I have left in me. So I, I want to touch on this. So uh, if you haven't gone and listened to the two podcasts with their GM, one run by the Capital Combustion Podcast, which is part of our, our beautiful game network, and the other one run by uh, Ira Jersey for League One Fun, that they both do interviews with the GM, who was the former owner of Lansing United, who basically became Lansing Ignite. Go listen his, to them. His name is Jeremy Sampson. Yeah, that's I, I listen to most of the Capital Combustion Podcast a lot of really interesting stuff in that podcast the one, about what happened in Lansing. The one thing I want to bring up that I haven't seen in other places, and that's why I want to bring it up, because I don't want to duplicate what everybody else has talked about, and I want to beat a dead horse on this, um, because they, those guys, those fans are going through just frustration. Like It's it's worse than it would even be here in Chattanooga, because we could always still go to a CFC game if they folded this year. right? CFC is going to be here next year. So in theory, we'd still have some soccer. They've got nothing. So right. they're in a really bad spot. But one thing that came up that no one's really talked about is, did you catch the part where Jeremy mentioned that he hadn't heard from the owner in over three months? Yeah. I, that, that was, was sh- amazing. That was shocking to me because I'm going, what is it, three months? Like, I, I, Let's do the math on that. That's July. Like, you haven't heard it, from this guy since July? 
And he's the owner of the baseball club in town, too. So I assume he's around Lansing. Yeah, like, I don't think he lives in Lansing, but I still think, like, dude, July. Like, your, your, your playoff run was still very early, like, very active. Like, he's not even reaching out at all. And then he's also claiming, though, that this guy turned over every leaf. Yet, the former owner of Lansing Unite, who may you know, have a few contacts in the city considering he's been in that city for all, I think he said all but two years of his life and he's in his mid forties and you never <laughs> once reached out and say, Hey, do you know of anybody who might be interested? That's where I call BS on their whole, I turn over every rock. Really? You didn't even try your own GM to ask him if he had any ideas. I don't think you turn over every rock. I, anyways, I, it's frustrating because I think this is a situation where I genuinely believe and we'll have to see what ends up happening with what they do with the stadium deal that he worked out and how good he is versus how good the politicians are in building out the language in that stadium deal. But I genuinely believe he paid his intro fee to get Lansing and he looked at the bath and said, I can get a deal on my stadium for the next 20 years. It's going to benefit me even if they fail and then just shut him down as soon as he could. I, I, I take the full conspiracy that he was just using soccer as a way to save money for baseball. I don't think One of the other things in the announcement that was amazing to me was talking about the fact that they were in some way losing money on the turf job that was being done on the infield. And it uh, there was some interesting discussion with Jeremy Sampson about what they were trying to do, uh, the different kind of methods and things that they tried to try to get that turf working in that stadium. Yeah. I mean, it was never going to, I mean, we, anyone from the outside saw it. didn't feel like they were spending any money on it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other thing he brought up was in his, uh, I don't know if it's in his announcement or his interview afterwards, um, that was done with the Lansing Journal, but he mentioned that they ran through their expected losses in the first month. Wow. Yeah. And this is something that I think a lot of people have hit on, but. If you're to if you were claiming to break even, four thousand fans was what you needed, which was basically you needed to be the Madison who caught lightning in a bottle. I don't see how you can run out in the first month when you only had two home games, and those were two of your biggest crowds. Like right. something doesn't add up there. And then on top of that, uh, can we just go ahead and call it like? Red Bulls lied about their numbers uh, in fans. I think we joked around, like, what is it 1,800 or is it a Red Bulls 1,800, right? Like, it kind of became a running joke. Uh, I don't think they did as good a job of lying as Lansing did because I watched those games, and it wasn't until Madison came to town that I realized how badly they were lying because then we had an actual number of fans that Madison was fully bringing because they had two buses full. Like it was 170 fans, I think. And we saw how much 170 fans filled up one little spot. So that's 170 people. And it equaled pretty much everybody else in the stands, excluding your your 15 to 20 people in your supporter section. How did you average 2,700 fans again? So, all that to say, like, if... We should have seen the writing on the wall a little bit. You you said to break even, you needed four thousand fans. You were claiming twenty seven hundred, and anyone watching the game knew you maybe had five hundred fans in the stadium. The uh, the the numbers that came out from the city said that they only recouped because they got it was like ten percent. 
I think, of the ticket sales or something like that that were on the, on the expensive seats, they only sold a total of 400 of those the entire year based off the number they put out for how much they got. 400 of the basically the seats that you could see on the TV, which is almost all the seats. Right. That's not the best numbers in the world for you guys. So it's terrible. I think it's a bigger sign as to why you need to have an owner that truly wants to build something. It's why, as a Red Wolves fan, I actually feel a little bit more comfortable because we're not just in Finley Stadium, renting Finley Stadium. Like, I, I'm going to be honest. Like, if Or, all, heaven forbid, AT&T. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, which, for if you're not here in Chattanooga, AT&T is the Lookouts, which is our AA baseball team. It's their stadium. Um, because he's actually building a stadium. Like, he's cleared the area over there, he, the season ticket uh, announcement stuff for buying season tickets. It is for that stadium there. It is in the, the map that they sent with it matches the map of what they presented. They're building the stadium, right? It's happening. Right. And they're not spending that kind of money to do that and just cut and bait. Like, that's just not happening. It's not as easy to cut bait when, as it is when you're renting a facility as you are building. So it actually makes me a little bit more comfortable. If I'm someone like Greenville, though, who is renting and hasn't announced the stadium, I'm a little bit more worried. I'm not worried if I'm Richmond. I'm not worried if I'm Tormenta. I'm not worried if I'm us. I'm not worried if I'm Madison. If you're looking at who other independent team is there, it's Greenville that I'm that I would be worried about because they just rent at a high school and they've never made a stadium announcement and their crowds have not been great. So that's the next one down that I'd be worried about if I'm worried about is this going to continue. And that would be a shame. Greenville, especially here in Chattanooga, that's an easy road trip. I made it first thing this year when we went out and played at Greenville. It's a really easy drive. The that particular game, the the you know stadium, the the game experience that they put out was awesome. The owner of Greenville, he seems like someone who is committed to this long haul. The program they put together, the way they came on strong at the end of the year to qualify for the playoffs and make it to the final. Uh, so they you know they've got good things that are going there. You would hope that um, even if there has not been the stadium announcement yet, that they're still, you know, that they're feeling things going. Um, One of the things that really jumped out to me that helped make me feel a little more comfortable as a Red Wolves fan listening to the Capital Combustion was just talking about um, just a lot of the expenses in the first year and and how, you know, it seems like the, the Lansing owner was kind of surprised that all of that stuff would have to happen up front. Like he thought maybe he was just going to be able to slap a couple of goals inside his baseball stadium and pay for some paint and call it a day. Um, you know, that, that, that's Bob Martino made his money with long-term investments. So the initial expense of this first year, he was prepared for knowing what was going to pay off in the long term based on the plan that he's presented uh, over this time. And so that's another thing to me that just feels like, you know, they're in the right place. Um, They're still in contact with our general manager. (laughs) So Uh, yeah, things like that, you know, the, the, a lot of the stuff. um, One of the things that stuck out to me in his interview was talking about his, plan what he wanted 
uh, was pushing for them to actually come into the league next season, yeah. not this current season that they played, because of a lot of the expense and a lot of the you know stuff that it takes to get it winding up. <laughs> And so we talk a lot about rumors that fly around about some of the chaos that happened in the front office and some of the social media that we thought they could have done better with. And I think with all of the work that it takes to get that first season going, I can kind of understand that more now. Right. And I think you're in Chattanooga. And I think if you look at um, who was the best, right, at that for the league, it was forward Madison. Right. And it's because they had two amazing things happen for them. Number one, Peter Wilt being heavily involved with the amount of experience he has starting up clubs. Number two, from what I understand, their social media guy was the same guy who did um, the English language version for, uh, for who was it for? Um, for the Bundesliga, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Who's like, or maybe the Fox version or I don't know anyway Anyways, yeah he's got a, he's had a long experience doing soccer Twitter in in the US so you kind of had two really good things happen for you and then they just did a good job with marketing like they they recognized some opportunities and they went with it they also had zero pushback right which is something the Red Bulls are going to continue to have for the foreseeable future is the, the Twitter trolls, the other things like that, that just look for opportunities to rip them. So, yeah, that's the part where you give them a pass. The part you don't give them a pass on is you got to learn to how to hit the block button on anyone that does that stuff. So you just move on. And then you have to learn how to still utilize the, the, the media and realize everybody else ignores them too. Right. So, but yeah, they'll learn from that. So the other thing, though, that kind of, the reason I brought that up is one of my biggest pet peeves all year has been that field and in general has been watching baseball fields be used for soccer stadiums. We're getting another one in Omaha, but they're actually taking the time to change the design of their, of their actual stadium to incorporate it. Like they're, they're literally changing the outfield wall and the, the, to be able to incorporate a larger stance and be able to have the, the, the field further towards the line so you have better right. sight lines. So that's the thing that where so many areas we could have said, you know, and granted you're looking back on it, where you could have said, oh, well, that makes sense. Like, and if, if I'm their leadership, if I'm in Jeremy's shoes, I'm sure he's, he's hindsight going, I wish I'd never, you know, hitched my wagon to this. But he's got to look back and go, man never really put time into creating this. He talked about all these things that he just never saw happening. Yeah. And that he just couldn't get the the grounds on. And you, you just feel for the man because he obviously cares greatly about soccer and greatly about Lansing in general. I, I wish them the best that there some of the fans. Um, in fact, I think some of the people associated with the Capital Combustion Podcast are, are exploring the opportunity for a supporter-owned team in one of the regionalized leagues. I wish them the best of luck on that. Um, but, you know, the chances of them getting professional soccer getting Lansing are pretty slim in the near future. So I hope that the amateur side can do great things and, and have great supporters. There's definitely proof that there's good supporters there. They had a, a really strong podcasting group. They had a really strong core for their supporter group. And I'd love to see that thrive in that lower division uh, amateur league. Cause I think they have enough 
of a fan base there to be sustainable, but that is a really tough model to be sustainable in. I mean, if you look, there's a number of teams, the Stockade, um, the uh, Minneapolis uh, team that put their, they put out what it costs to run a team. And you've got to really do, you've got to be really good at not spending money. Because just to run an amateur team where you're not even paying the players is over $100,000. And that's assuming the best case scenario for both the Stockade and for that Minneapolis team. So I wish them the best of luck. But yeah, it's sad to see them go. Because I think that if the right person was there, they could have become uh, a sustainable long-term choice. Yeah, good luck to uh, you guys in Lansing. Uh, we hope to hear from you down the road. Yeah. So other League One news also has to do with the stadium. Uh, Lexington is once again coming up. They have uh, talked again about a possible stadium to house a League One team. Um, did you read much on that or see much on that? I, I saw that they had a site that seemed very possible in Lexington, Kentucky. Um I think it's interesting when you hear a lot of discussion about League One. It's mostly Southern kind of in that area. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting and looks like a, a good spot. Lexington as a college town, too. I think that's maybe something that they're with this smaller level, having um, that college town folks that – maybe are, you know, the, the younger, the beer drinking, the hipster-ish wanting to have that soccer experience. A uh, couple of ways that it makes sense. It's interesting. We'll see. have to see what happens. Yeah, I think that the, the main thing for me is that I, I'm glad to hear them looking at a place that's talking about an actual stadium and not about another baseball stadium conversion or anything like that. Right. I think that's what I'm excited about there. Um, yeah, it, we'll see what happens from it. I mean, obviously... That's not next year. It might, wouldn't probably even be 2021. Um, but, yeah, that's. I think those are the type of things you want to see going forward. We definitely want to see some more independent teams because um, next year we're losing one of the independents and we're adding an independent. So, basically, we're going to be on a, a net zero on independent league teams next year but gaining two um, MLS two sides. So, uh, we don't really want to see that continue to be the trend because it, even though I think it actually is highly, um, it's shown that if used right, obviously since Dallas won both the supporters shield or the whatever you want to call the the regular season and the the tournament, you can tell that done right, it, they can be very strong teams. Done wrong, they can be very Orlando City B. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that goes. Um, and then the last thing for League One uh, is more news out of um, out of Madison. Apparently, this is old news that they're just announcing. For what I read, that he's actually been in this or transitioned to this role or out of his role with Madison for a couple months now. But uh, Peter Wilt is going to be joining league offices, not just League One offices, from what I can tell. It's just overall USL league offices. Is that is that what you read too? Yes. So yeah, Peter Wilt, and his focus is going to be on uh, supporter groups, supporter culture, supporter engagement. What do you think of that? I think he has a lot of knowledge and experience. Uh, there obviously was a lot of positive feedback for what they did in the year that they started with Madison. Uh, so I think it is a good role, uh, and we'll see where that goes. I think it's you know something that we're hoping here to see the folks with the supporter group for the Red Wolves try to grow in this coming year. 
Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think it's going to be something that's going to be helpful. Try to bring best practices together and, um, and help kind of grow soccer around the country and get people excited and passionate about it. So one of the things that a lot of people have pushed back on is the whole supporters need to be independent from the team so they can be free to say what they want to say, call out the team when they do things they shouldn't and yada, yada, yada. I want to, from what I can tell, this has nothing to do with him trying to help create supporters groups, which is what I think a lot of um, the the negative people, I'm, I'm not just the, the normal negatives, right? Not just your, your Northern Guard, Shadow Hooligan, anything we're not doing is terrible negative, but even some USL fan groups, like some fans of Indy 11, um, some of the fans that uh, were there for New Mexico United this year have come out and said, hey, you know, I don't know how comfortable we are with having the league kind of trying to tell us what to do. And I don't get the impression from my few interactions that I've had or seen others have with Peter Wilt that he would ever tell anyone what to do. I get the impression he would help somebody with getting to where they want to be, which is a big difference between those two things in my mind. And that really, I mean, that's the history that he's had growing the sport in the country is trying to help people get to the spot they want to be. So I agree with you. I think that that's definitely what they're wanting to look at, uh, wanting to allow the supporter groups to be independent. Uh, and I'm for that. I'm for a supporter group being independent. You know, we've we've never had anyone uh, from the players or the front office give us side eye. And you know that we've been critical of the team on this podcast. Yeah. Not just this episode, but any of these previous episodes. We've had oh, time where we've been critical of I mean not just the you know the players and the play on the field but things you know decisions that the front office made and things like that yeah and so and and this they'll still come up and shake our hand and smile at us hey how you doing Alex good to see you uh what's been going on you know they're nice to our families they haven't pulled our tickets they don't give us extra security pat downs when we walk in the stadium no matter how many times I tell them they need to double check you <laughs> so so I don't think there's as much fear about that. I understand the apprehension of, you know, the rah-rah, there's nothing our team could do wrong because it's being run from the front office. We're always positive, happy talk supporter group. But also, isn't the point of the supporter group to support the club? Yeah. And I think I think a perfect example of this has to do with when you look at Madison and the flock. So... Um, I'll, I was, I'm one of the first people to be critical of some of the stuff that the, the flock and the, um, the team itself have done together. I feel like they have been very intertwined. Uh, one of those examples is the bus tour that they did that basically was paid for by the front office. Um, I, I, that was kind of skirting a line to me. It was going, okay, well really it's just the front office grabbing some fans and then letting them claim that it's theirs. Um, and I don't really have a problem with that. I just wish they would have said, hey, the front office is doing a tour with some lucky fans. Uh, I, I would have preferred it for that as to make it seem like the flock did all of it. But the one thing they did that I thought was really cool was the front office just came right out and said, if you're going to the game in Dallas, the, this was their semifinal match, right. we want to buy your ticket. Not to the game, or not to get there, but to the game. Right? That's the type of stuff I think that they're talking about. Like we're... He helps with the team to be able to know when to reach out and say these things. Some of the things that have been disconnected here in Chattanooga is there was one night one night where they had a luau. I didn't know there was a luau until I showed up. That's a miss that 
I feel like someone like Peter Wilk can get with our with our front office and say, hey, these are things that you need to coordinate with your biggest supporters groups. And I put that in plural because just because there's currently one doesn't mean there has to stay one, right? Like, once again, right. I, I'm going to bring up um, Madison, but Madison has the Mingo Ladies. They have the Flock. They have uh, Forward Featherstone. They have... Um, a couple other like random ones that are on Twitter that are, I don't think are really at games. I think those are the main three that are at games. And they're kind of subgroups within that. You look at MLS side, you look at the way Portland has, they have the overall group, but they have these subgroups within it, right? Um, that's the dream, right? That's where you want to get to. You want to get to where you do have these subgroups that are, that are more specific to what those people may be of interest to, right? Um, and so, but then they have to engage with all of them. They have to be able to do that across the board, so that they are showing that uh, they're showing that that willingness to work with all the groups that are, you know, as long as they're supporting for the right reasons. But uh, all that to say, I don't see a problem with it. I think the biggest thing from it is you're now going to have his wealth of knowledge to be able to be used across championship and league one, and maybe even some of those teams in league two that have those aspirations of moving up on how to engage, how to show yourself in the community to show that ability to move up to the next level, to be able to go from a six to eight week season to the full 30 game season. Right. Right. Uh, I think it's only going to be an asset and I look forward to seeing what he does and hopefully what he can help the, uh, here in Chattanooga with on, on them building that out. Because uh, one of the big mis- misconceptions I think the Red Wolves had is we have a really good uh, engaged supporter group for CSC. And I think the Red Wolves were expecting that they would get the same thing right away here. And I don't think they realized how poorly run the first couple years that group was because it takes time to build. And... If we could get assistance in that, if those that want to take a leadership role within a supporters group, which is not me, um, but want, that's something that Nor they, I. yeah, that's something that they have time for. I can only be beneficial for them to be able to reach out and say, "Hey, how can we do this?" Or, "Hey, what type of nonprofit should we try to set ourselves up as?" Those are things that you could reach out to other supporters groups for, right? But why would you do that if you could reach out to Peter Wilt, who has 25 years plus experience helping teams do these things? It seems like a no-brainer. Right. And he can also be a help if you're getting you know, conflicting information and you're not sure which way to go. He, he's a resource that they should be able to help kind of work their way through those things. So, yeah, I, I think we're circling back around. But I believe overall it's going to be a good thing having his knowledge shared within USL – I think makes the entire league stronger on that front. So let's move on to other soccer in America. Um, I don't have much on the USL championship playoffs. Good luck to all of those teams that are still involved in MLS. We are down to the semis taking place this week. Uh, Toronto FC is going to be going to Atlanta and the Seattle Sounders, curse be upon them, are going to be traveling to Bank of America. Not Bank of America. What is it? U.S. Bank Field, Bank of California. Bank of California Stadium in Los Angeles to take on LAFC. Thoughts? Uh, I think if you're a local, you're more than likely to be uh, an Atlanta United fan. 
and you've got to like how you're now playing Toronto at home as opposed to heading up to play in Yankee Stadium. You've got to be super stoked about that. Yeah, that's I agree to that. And if you're uh, a curmudgeon and you hate all things Seattle, you've got to be excited that they're heading to play LAFC and not having to uh, watch Seattle host a game. It's not about being a curmudgeon. That's just plain common sense. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be LA Atlanta winning both those games. Um, I think they LA has shown they are by far the best team in the West. And I think Atlanta has done the same with versus Toronto. I think they've shown that they can handle themselves, and I expect them to do so. So you jumped all over Alex's stone-cold prediction machine, which is also predicting a Atlanta-LA final. And I am giving the edge to LA. I just think it speaks to the high quality of all the teams in MLS that two teams that didn't exist three years ago are going to probably be battling each other for the league championship. Uh, I think it speaks to how well MLS did at stacking LA to be successful because they did not want a re replay of the last time they tried to put a second team in LA. <laughs> um, I, you know, that's the conspiracy theorist in me also. Um, and this is a hundred percent true. Could, could just one of these teams use their extra money for that designated player on a defender? Just one. So we could stop watching top quality offensive players play against mediocre defenders every single week in MLS. Like they, I expect, and I'm saying that because I expect both of these games to be at least three score, four score games. Oh yeah, they're going to be track meets. Yeah. So that's that's my other... My other stone cold prediction. So, and that that speaks to again. I wanted to rant for a little while about the Timbers, and you hit the nail on the head talking about using a DP slot or something like that to try to find some defense because they are a team with quite a few attacking options, and they have a big gaping hole on their back line, and it it kills me. So the playoff game previous, they played, uh, they started their season in the snow in a disappointing fashion, and they ended their season in the snow in a disappointing fashion playing in Salt Lake. The one thing that I really, it really burned me up, uh, Diego Valeri not starting. He had been battling an injury at the end of the season, so I understand possibly why you would not start him but why you would substitute your best attacking player, Jeremy Abobasi, for Diego Valeri, as opposed to Andy Polo, who I think was playing the game Marco Polo, only nobody on the team or on the field said Marco. So he never showed up. He won Mari his way around the, around the you, field? I, they, yeah, you never said his name. He was it, not a factor at all, but we left him on the field. We pulled off one of our, our, really our only true forward for the midfield player when we were trying to win the game. It didn't make sense to me at all. The constant use of Darren Espria, who apparently is Mr. October, as in that's the only month out of the 12 that he plays during the season uh, with any kind of effort. He's 
you I know you talk about Juan Mare. Dyron Espria is an incredibly frustrating player to watch in that you can tell he has a lot of decent skills and he almost always is going to make the wrong decision. So, oh, look at this. I've got this little crease that's towards the goal where I could take a shot. I'm going to curl around and try to hit a cross over to the far side of the goal, except there's no one in the box, so it's just going to trail out for a goal kick. Or, hey, there's three guys between me and the goal and a player streaking down the right wing. I'm going to try a shot, and let's see what happens. And it's either they're going to go flying over the goal or get ricochet off somebody. It's the most frustrating thing ever, and I am ready for him to leave Portland. Um, so, yeah, they have a lot of attacking options. They don't have a defense. That is what they need to address in the offseason. And for me, Coach Gio Savarese is – he's got this season to do something or his seat's going to start getting a little toasty for me. I don't feel like from last season making it to the MLS Cup Final – he has done much to develop those players. He seems a lot more interested in cursing out the fourth official every time they decide not to replay things because apparently Portland Timbers are the team in MLS that doesn't get VAR. So they'll oh, VAR yeah. stuff when it happens, like maybe there was a handball in the box or something like that. But if it happens to the Timbers, then they just kind of stand there for a couple seconds and then just let the goal kick happen. I think I'm done with my rant now. Excellent. So Gio, you're on the hot seat. So, so that's all I got for MLS. I do want to talk a little bit. You brought up VAR. I know this doesn't do a very good job of following our outline, but it's Sunday. I watched the Arsenal Crystal Palace game this afternoon, and I really, really dislike the way in which the Premier League uses VAR. Like it is incredibly maddening to watch the ref just kind of hold his fingers up to his ear while he's listening on his earpiece and wait for someone who's not at the game to tell him what happened, especially when what happened is such a pivotal thing. So in this game there were two VAR calls, both went against Arsenal. The first one was a hundred percent correct. Like Callan Chambers stuck his leg out. Zaha did the right thing and ran and fell over top of the leg, but the leg was stuck out, <laughs> right? So yeah. he he put himself in that position. Uh, the ref thought Zaha was flopping. The fact is Zaha was definitely not trying to get to the ball, but you can't stick your leg out in the box in a desperation move like that right? and, and not expect a penalty to be called. The right call was to overturn it. He actually originally gave Zaha a yellow card for simulation and it got overturned all the way to a penalty. Um, but that was the right call later. Once again, involving Colin chambers, his legs get tangled up in the, in the penalty box area, right in front of the goal, about three yards from the goal. He falls down along with the defender off the ball while the ball gets passed back to Socrates, who then slams it home to give us a three, two lead. Nothing happens. And then all of a sudden he's got fingers up to his ear and they disallow the goal. I still have yet to have figured out what's the clear foul. Like, there's nothing clear about it. There's like a group of people tangled up. Their legs are tangled. It's not uh-huh. clear. I haven't been able to find anyone who's trying to argue that it was the right call. Like, I, And I personally feel like 
that this ref is being overruled by some person somewhere else and has no idea. And I feel like he's going to go back and look at that and be like, what the hell? Like, I made the right call originally. <laughs> like, I just hate it. I really, really dislike it. It's just poorly done. And I don't understand the reasoning behind it. The argument could be made that now Arsenal have basically had a, a total of four points stolen from them because they've got a tie here, which should have been a win. And, well, sorry, three points. But a tie here that should have been a win. We have a loss that should have been a tie last week. Like two times that VAR didn't do what it's supposed to do. And if it's not going to be right 100% of the time, it can't be used as far as I'm concerned. Because if you're, if you're wrong and it costs points... That should be because of human error, not because we watched a video replay that in super slow-mo and think we saw something that would never have been called in 100 years. So I think you're right there that they need to be, like in that sort of situation, it feels like the referee should be able to go to him and say, I think I saw a foul there, but I'm not sure watch the replay and tell me as opposed to them just watching and being like, Oh yeah, you screwed this up. You should have called a foul there. Right. Um, like it stands for video sort of assisted like refereeing. It doesn't, yeah. it's not, it's not video overriding refereeing. Like I, there's, you know, and there's the goal check system. There's did the ball cross the line or not. That's been helpful. Um, so I'm with you on that. And I think one of the other points that you're talking about when you're watching all of this stuff in super slow-mo. So this week, I was watching Chelsea versus Ajax, and in the first half, Ajax had a goal that they scored, and he got called back for offside because of VAR, and when they slow it down and you look, it literally, it was his hand. His hand was out in front of his body, which happened to also be out you know, behind the last defender. Just his hand. The whole rest of his body was onside. So the goal was disallowed because of a hand being offside. If we're going to be using slow-mo instant replay to make a decision about whether or not someone is offside, then you're going to need to have that guy be like his whole body behind all of the defender. Yeah. The benefit needs to be going to these attacking teams to get goals on the board, help this game be, you know, more fun to watch instead of, hey, here's an exciting play that doesn't count because there's this guy over here in a funny-looking shirt with his hand to his ear. And I think, going to that point, the, the reason that it was the rules written the, written the way it was was because it was written for the naked eye to be watching it, right? Right. So the naked eye would not catch that one hand was just barely behind the other guy's elbow, right? It's, right. It's more of you can see a shoulder or you can see that the whole hip is past it. Like that's what your eye sees. You don't see a fingertip or you don't see whatever yeah. it is. And so, yeah, a hundred percent, like there needs to be adjustments made to make it make sense. The NFL ran into the same problem with football a couple of years ago with what's a catch, right? You remember that whole thing when instant replay would come in? Oh and yeah. Like, you know, well, eh, is it really a catch? You know, he got two feet, but he was slightly bobbling and then the ball moved when he hit the ground. It's like, Guys, that's not the reason these rules were written. These rules were written well, to assist in understanding it, not to make it so complex. The uh, the best allegory you're talking about there is now what's a handball. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I'm obviously not a fan of how, how VAR has done things. Uh, but that's not even the thing I'm most upset with Arsenal about. Um, 
can we just go ahead and sell Ozil for a dollar? Because at least then we'll get something out of him. Like, sell him for a penny. Give can me we bring s- him to the Red Wolves? Yeah, fine. Yeah, agree to pay all of his wages and sell him for a dollar. You're still getting more out of him than you are right now. Coach Hankinson could use another defender. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's going to put him in goal because that's how Hankinson uses his players. Right. Uh, I. This is not me going off to make an arse of myself, but your top paid player doesn't even get on the team sheet when healthy for home games anymore. Like, does is there really anyone that thinks that Ozil's not good enough to sit on the bench for Arsenal? Like, honestly, like, are, are we really going with the fact that we think Lucas Torreira is better than Ozil now? Are we really gonna gonna sit here and try to say that a guy who can't even get, you can't, it's just it's so maddening to see. And the other part of this, I watched preseason. He was great in preseason. Like, he had, the ball was at his feet. He passed it really well. He played very well with both uh, Pepe and with Aubameyang when they were both on the field. Like, he knew how to distribute to those two guys. Yet, we leave him not even on the team. Like, it's become this meme where, like, you make jokes about, like, what is what is Ozil going to say this week? And, like, last week, he literally posted a picture of himself hanging out with an Arsenal great during the game at a training facility. Like, showing he was fully healthy. I wish you had told me this topic was going to come up because I would have prepared a Skip Bayless-style takedown of Ozil's ability to explain why he shouldn't be on the team sheet every you, week. You're out of your freaking mind if you think he can't be on the team sheet. Yep. Yep. Oh, jeez. Yeah, part of me is tempted to let you think through this, record yourself, send it to me, so then I can just respond with, You're wrong! And be done with it. <laughs> Because you're wrong. If you don't think Ozil's good enough to be on Arsenal's team sheet, then it makes no sense. And if Arsenal thinks that, then get rid of him, agree to pay his wages, and get $10 million for him for someone, for somewhere. And agree to pay the wages. Like, if you're not going to play him, you're paying the wages no matter what. At least get some money out of it. It's stupid. That's the part I don't understand. Yeah, it does seem really weird to sit on an asset like that, especially someone who is, has been that successful and, as far as I know, has not lost... His abilities. Exactly. That's the thing I'm saying. Like, a lot of people say it's because his wages are so high you couldn't sell him. Except you can agree to offset the wages by giving a certain amount of money. Like, if you sit down and say, okay, he's going to cost us 50 million pounds in wages over the next three years. Then you turn around and say, okay, well, we'll pay 40 million of his wages if you'll give us 20 million in whatever. That's still a saving of 30 million pounds. Like, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. So, all right, moving on. I'll get away from that. Last thing before we go on to the national team news and such that I wanted to bring up. Uh, Christian Pulisic. Pulisic? So, how do you want to say it? Yeah, Christian Pulisic. Pulisic? I, there's no H. There's Christian lots of people who say it wrong, so I'm trying to do it for them. Pulisic? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I watched on Wednesday. I watched Chelsea play Ajax. He came off the bench as a sub and affected the game, was very active, running at the ball, uh, challenging the defense, set up the assist for the goal that won Chelsea that match. And then on Saturday in the Premier League, started, scored three goals. Good job, Christian. And there again, he was, I mean, he, he looked like he never seems to look with the national team. He was aggressive. He was running at people. He was taking on defenders. 
uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. I was very excited for him. Well, when you play with quality players and you have a quality coach, it really does change things. That, yeah, that is true. And that brings us to the U.S. national team. Um, obviously, we destroyed Cuba. Not a shock to anyone. It's 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 basically the equivalent of when the women had their massive blowout that everybody got upset about. Um, the difference in quality. Uh, Some people were wondering if we should feel bad, and they're a one-party dictatorship with a gulag that won't let their best players leave the country because their best players will then defect. So, no, I don't feel bad for them, and we should beat them 14 to nothing every time just because America. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, I personally still hold, um, when we were up, what, like, it felt like 45 nothing after the first three minutes. It was, it was like, I was texting you. I was like, hey, are you watching this at all? Uh, um, Weston McKinney has a hat trick. It's the 11th minute. <laughs> yeah, so great job, Weston McKinney. I, when I was re-watching, I was really impressed with the play of Jordan Morris in that match. I know there's only so much you take from it, but they need to win those games and they need to win those games in that kind of fashion. They need to start jumping on the throats of the air quote minnows of CONCACAF if they're wanting to establish um, their dominance, if they want to be the team that a lot of people talk about them being. Right. But so that's you know, what I take from the Cuba match. What really would get them there though, was if they didn't have what happened against Canada happen though. So after that great blowout, then they show up. Well, did they show up versus Canada? That's the question. Ugh. Like it, I watched the whole match because I apparently am a glutton for punishment, and it was, it it was excruciating. It was bad formation. It was lazy passing. It was terrible crosses, and then it was just not not being the aggressor and allowing Canada Canada to push us around. Yes. And so uh, Jason W. with League One Fun had something similar to this. Of course, we we beat the poo out of Cuba on was that a, it was a Friday night. And the whole weekend, everyone is talking about how it's holding us back. We you know, we we shouldn't even be doing this Nations League having to play against these small teams just to beat up on them. How is that ever going to make us any better? We're talking about the team that finished fifth in a six-team group for World Cup qualifying, by the way. And then they go out on Tuesday and they show everyone why this exercise is necessary in falling to Canada in the worst fashion possible. Uh, I only watched half. Um, this time I was thankful to Hulu, who basically said, you really don't want to watch the rest of this, so we're going to malfunction and not let you watch the rest of the game. So I only got through the first half. And... I, I could tell the way it was going. I could tell that it was going to be a 2 nothing loss in that first half. I, that second half, I could just tell. They were going to come out as flat yeah. as they started, and it was going to be an issue. Yeah. It was it was ugly. Here's what I take from it. Can, can we just go ahead and admit that hiring a mediocre MLS coach, probably not the best hire you've ever had, and let's, 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 let's cut bait now because we have time still to build for the next World Cup. I really, yeah, uh, I had the jury out 
And I think this result against Canada was... With, with most of your team. Like most yeah. of the players that we said, this is going to be our team. Yeah, and that was one of the things. I, I was watching the Cuba game thinking to myself, you know, I can see uh, a qualifying cycle and all the other stuff with Jordan Morris and Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic and Christian Roldan and Matt Miazga in central of defense. And, you know, like I, I can kind of see that this is a team that's coming together. There's a lot of those guys on the field, and then they throw in Michael Bradley. And I'm ready for Michael Bradley to have his testimonial match, and let's give him a really nice watch, and thank you for your service. I am ready for the Michael Bradley era to be over with. Yeah, I'm ready for the... Uh... I'm ready for this error to be able to just go ahead and say, all right, it was a mistake, and bring in yes. a real hire. I and I'm with you on that, uh, that, that, was, that, that it was a mistake. I don't, you know, the, the words that you hear when guys come out of camp, the way that you see Christian Pulisic get back to Chelsea and apparently is so excited to be there that he scores a hat trick in the Premier League. Let's go over that list of Americans that have scored hat tricks in the Premier League. Christian Pulisic. And? And we're done. No. We're that... done. Yes. Uh, just to, to let you know, 2012 for Fulham, Chris, uh, Clint Dempsey had a hat trick versus, uh, uh, who would it, versus Newcastle. So, <clears throat> just just to throw that out there. Are we, are we sure that was in the Premier League? Yes. The only other U.S. national player to record a Premier League hat trick was Clint Dipsy for Fulham in January against Newcastle. He also posted a hat trick for Fulham during the FA Cup the same year. Well, congratulations. I love Gold being right. star for you. <laughs> so, anyway. You you lose uh, also, also comments of Jordan Morris when he got back to Seattle from U.S. national team camp. Like, the mood at national team camp is not good. And I'm pretty sure that that was before having to play that game against Canada. Now we've got to do the same thing, playing Canada and then playing at Cuba. And yeah, who knows what we're going to make out of all this. And the other part to kind of keep in mind when you think about that is we have a lot of dual national players that keep not choosing the U.S. And if you don't think those two are related, you're crazy. One of the other reasons that I think that's happening is I believe they made a massive mistake in the way that they handled Josh Sargent. He should have been in Poland this summer playing with those younger players. He is not ready to be playing with this national team. Even that Cuba game, it took him a good 40 minutes to finally really establish himself in that game and be noticed. And he was non-existent in the game against Canada. So if you don't have him, then, oh my God, you're left with Jossie Zardes. Or maybe the stars align and Josie Altador is healthy until the 76th minute when I'm sure he'll come up lame in whatever game you put him into. <laughs> what else do you have? I would like to see Jeremy Abobasi get a chance, but that's a homer call. Yeah, that's a bit of a homer call. But the way that they the way that they mishandled a young man like Josh Sargent who could have been developing this year through um, working with the youth national teams in really key competitions instead he's out there in these games that 
aren't really helping him. No, I think everybody agrees. Like the U.S. national team, the at least on the men's side, just is never handled well, and this is just par for the course. All right, so yeah, we'll end it there. But one thing, folks, if you're listening, I want to see some Apple reviews. Go on Apple reviews and play the looks like game with Alex. So Alex looks like you tell us in your review. So now I have to make a bunch of Apple accounts. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah, we would like some podcast reviews. Apple's not the only place you can review us. You can also review us through uh, the Google Podcasts. It's a little bit less intuitive, though, than the Apple Podcast Store. But yeah, we'd love to get some reviews that aren't just... Of course, make sure to give us the five stars. Tell us what Alex looks like. Yeah, that aren't just the, hey, uh, they don't, they're don't. they not the CFC podcast. Yeah, CFC's got two podcasts. They're actually pretty good. Go listen to them if you're a CFC fan or you want to hear the CFC's perspective. But don't review us based off of what you think of CFC versus Red Bulls. We're not a Red Bulls-run podcast. We're fans. So, But yeah, if you enjoy it, go out there, give us five stars. We know we got a lot of loyal listeners because we go way over the number that we would expect every week. It's not just Alex's mom because my mom would never listen. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks, thanks so much for, for listening to us. And we want to get again, uh, thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. We also want to thank the BGN Network, BGN Network, where you can find a lot of great podcasts about USL, MLS, Premier League, and so much more. Go check them out at bgn.fm. Bye. people say yes the US have left no stone unturned mm -hmm. they've scoured the world and they've got to make sure that they are getting absolutely the best of the best and that'll be some coach from MLS <laughs>